Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome in. Been a long time since I've chatted with you. This is WFS, the Will Ford Show. Been about three weeks since we've chatted. Last time I saw you, I was in here with my dad talking all the breaking NFL news, and I've missed quite a few things over the last several weeks. Uh, life just kind of gets to you sometimes. My apologies. We're back, though, here on a Thursday. Uh, got a fresh haircut, feeling good. And uh, the one big thing that I missed over the last couple of weeks was another huge trade in the NFL. Tyreek Hill traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins for five picks. The Dolphins basically threw away this entire draft to go get Tyreek Hill. And uh, I think the Chiefs, although they're going to do the best that they can to, to fill the void at wide receiver, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, they, they brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they're going to do the best they can, but obviously I think they're going to take a step back offensively next year. The Dolphins are getting a heck of a chess piece on offense because Tyree Kill can just do about anything. Uh, he can run vertically down the field, throw the long ball, he can do crossing routes, drags over the middle of the field reverses jet sweeps he can do just about anything you can put him in the backfield and uh, the dolphins are really getting a, a, a huge chess piece probably the the best chess piece in the league in terms of tyree kills versatility where you can put him on the field um, i think cooper cup is a better receiver in terms of route running getting open better hands but tyree kill is the fastest receiver one of the fastest we've ever seen if not the fastest and so that makes him one of, if not the most dangerous player in the NFL, just because of that speed. So the Dolphins are getting a heck of a piece there to put with Tua Tagovailoa. And really the pressure's on Tua now. I mean, you've got Tyreek Hill, who's a top five receiver in the NFL. You got a new offensive coach and you see what you can do. Um, and the pressure's on Tua. And if he can't perform, then the Dolphins are going back to the drawing board and getting another quarterback. There are a few NFL things that I'm going to discuss today, and then we're going to also get into the NBA as well. I haven't talked some NBA in a while, but the playoffs are coming up. We're in the middle of the play-in tournament, and so I've got to I've got to talk some NBA as well. So let's start with the NFL first, though. Um, I do want to start today's show uh, after you know recapping some of the things that I missed, uh, but a couple of days ago, just an absolute tragedy. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, 24 years old, dies after being struck by a dump truck, went on kind of a, a work vacation, so to speak, with a handful of Steelers players, Mitch Trubisky. I think it was organized by Mitch Trubisky, but Mitch Trubisky, Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, a bunch of other guys um, going on a vacation together, but also training together. And then Haskins hit by a dump truck, I think on the highway, I'm not too sure. You know, all the details. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure how. But I know it was on, I believe, Saturday morning uh, last weekend. Just absolutely tragic. Um, and it's it's even more heartbreaking when you think about what he meant to the guys in the locker room in Pittsburgh. I mean, a bunch of people coming out, including head coach Mike Tomlin, saying that Dwayne Haskins really found his place here, really found his niche. He was kind of that high-energy guy. Always wanted to talk to somebody, always sitting down with someone new at lunch every day that was on the team, like when he first joined, um, just to get to know everybody on the team. And certainly was going to be competing for a, a starting quarterback spot this year with the Steelers, you know, with Trubisky and you know, Mason Rudolph, 
I mean, you take football out of it, just just remove football from the equation. I mean, I, he's just a kid. He, I mean, he's not that much older than me, two years older than me. It's insane that someone that young, something as bad as that happens. I mean, it sucks for it to, to happen to anybody, but just at such a young age and seemed like such a lively human with so much more life to live. I mean, he could have lived another 70, 80 years. I mean, the impact that he had on the people around him, I think, was far greater than anything he could have ever done playing football. And that's not to say he was a bad football player at all. I, I just mean just his impact as a person, the lives that he touched, that's going to far outweigh anything he could have ever accomplished. I, I did think it was kind of sad and a little insensitive um, when the news was first reported. Adam Schefter, of course, one of the lead reporters for the NFL, he was one of the ones that tweeted about this news. And in his tweet saying that Dwayne Haskins had died, reporting it, he had said that you know, he started with Washington and kind of failed there and, and was struggling in Pittsburgh or, or whatnot. I don't, I don't have the tweet in front of me. But, I mean, it just felt kind of insensitive and low to kind of maybe not attack, but just criticize his playing career when the man had just died. It felt a little insensitive to me, and it's really sad. It's really, really sad. But prayers to him and his family, his friends, his teammates, current and former teammates. I know Ohio State... You know, he's beloved at Ohio State. He is the the program leader in terms of passing touchdowns in a season. And the the really, really cool thing about Dwayne Haskins and his story is that when he was a little kid, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, that's all he ever talked about was one day I'm gonna be the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And there's pictures about it. They talked about it in games on commentary all the time. Kirk Herbstreet talked about it. Every game that he and Chris Fowler covered of the Buckeyes. And he ended up living his dream, being the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. A pretty darn good one at that. And I think was just now starting to get his footing in the NFL. And who knows, could have competed for the starting job with the Steelers. But it just seemed like he, he was just now getting his footing. A lot of people thought he maybe came out of college you know, a year too early and could have used that extra year for some development skills wise, but none of that matters. Uh, That doesn't matter. I mean, who knows? Maybe he could have went back to college another year and this wouldn't have happened. You never know. I mean, you, you never know the alternative of another decision. I mean, I could, I could walk across my road and get hit by a, a vehicle tomorrow, but I could do it. Today, I mean, you you just never know. Every second in life, you know, like none of it is guaranteed, and I think this goes to show it. But I wanted to address that at the at the start. I know that that was you know, almost a week ago, but I needed to address it because, I mean, Haskins is a guy who was very much loved by the Steelers organization, his teammates, and it's just sad. But let's move forward now to some other headlines in the NFL. Uh, Derek Carr signed a three-year, $121.5 million extension with the Las Vegas Raiders. And that puts Derek Carr near the top of the league in terms of highest-paid quarterbacks, around $40 million a year. 
And to be honest with you, I think Derek Carr is worth every penny of that. If you look at the dysfunction that Derek Carr's had to put up with in his career, especially last year, I mean, all the stuff about John Gruden comes out, loses his coach. And so there's constant turnover, you know, and in terms of front office and coaching, and you're not really quite sure what's going on there. And then Henry Ruggs, one of his top receivers, gets into trouble, speeding, incident under the influence killed someone went to jail and not only does he lose a you know a a good player on his team but it's it's like how does how does that affect you mentally and psychologically that a friend and a brother is going through something like that and you know you try your best to be there for him but of course that weighs on you mentally probably as as a friend and a brother you forget the football aspect but he was somehow still able to bring this team together he led the league this year in 300 yard passing games and he was undefeated this season when he threw for over 300 yards he put the team on his back and took him to the playoffs they lost to the Bengals who eventually made it to the Super Bowl but Derek Carr's worth every penny you could have given him five years and given him 150 million dollars it wouldn't have mattered you give him all the money he wants as many years as he wants because he is a, a dang good quarterback a lot of people may argue, and I really I don't think this is arguable. I, he probably is the fourth best quarterback in his division. A lot of people would argue Patrick Mahomes is the is the best quarterback in the league. Justin Herbert is up there with some of the great young quarterbacks, and I think he's probably a top six to seven quarterback in the league. And then Russell Wilson, Super Bowl champion, a lot of people view him as a top five quarterback. So. Derek Carr, I think, without question, is the fourth best quarterback in his division. However, I think the team around him is a lot better than some people suggest. If they can get the offensive line figured out and there's some development there, Alex Leatherwood, their tackle that they drafted, I, I thought he was a bust in the beginning. They were going we're gonna to need to see some more development out of him at the tackle position. But if they can figure out their offensive line, I mean, they've got all the pieces in the world around Derek Carr in terms of skill positions. Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, you have Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Deshaun Jackson, Darren Waller. There's about as many pieces as you can have on that offense. That's as good of a skill position room as any in the NFL. Max Crosby, one of the better edge rushers in the NFL on defense. Trade for Chandler Jones. I mean, I think this Raiders team, a lot of people, I think when, you know, come July, August, when we start making our preseason predictions on, you know, where teams are going to finish in their divisions, I think 99% of people are going to have the Raiders sitting at fourth place in the AFC West, which is possible. I mean, that, that division is just absolutely loaded, but I think the Chiefs are going to take a step back. The Chargers always seem to get in their own way. And Russell Wilson is in his first year with a new head coach on a new team. I think the AFC West is actually, it's open for the taking. And I think the Raiders can can certainly not only compete for a playoff spot, but win the AFC West. But Derek Carr, that extension, $40 million a year. He could have been got, uh, he could have got more. He's worth every penny, worth the investment. The only thing I, I don't love about the contract, and I don't love this for any NFL player. I do not know why. These are things in NFL contracts or in contracts in general for professional sports. He gets a no trade clause. What that does is that gives all leverage 
to Derek Carr whenever there's a, a future contract dispute potentially, or if he's just unhappy, you know, if they're not winning and he wants to leave, he can essentially pick his destination because he would have to waive his no trade clause in order to go to a destination. It gives all the leverage to the player, and I think that that's kind of the problem with the NFL and the NBA nowadays is that players can kind of force their hand and just go wherever they want because they have these no trade clauses. Deshaun Watson got to pick where he wanted to go. Russell Wilson got to pick where he wanted to go. Now Derek Carr, if he decides he wants to leave in a couple of years, he has all the leverage and can pick wherever he wants to go. That, to me, is not fair on the teams. That's why we see so much player movement, so much player empowerment, and I'm all for player empowerment, but it's almost to the detriment of the organizations. It it kind of makes these contracts pointless. It's like, why sign a contract for X amount of years, X amount of money, if you're not willing to stay with that team for X amount of years, X amount of money? I understand things can change in three, four, five years, but you signed a contract. I mean, these no-trade clauses are great for star players. They are great for star quarterbacks, great for anybody who is considered top five, maybe top 10 at their position, but they shouldn't be things because they give too much power to the player and it hurts the ability of teams to find the best deal possible for a player when they're only limited to a certain amount of teams. Like maybe another team could offer more, but if Derek Carr or Russell Wilson or insert player here doesn't want to go there you're not getting exactly what you want. That's the only thing I don't agree with with the contract. But you know what? That's fine. Good for Derek Carr. He deserves it all. I just don't think that no trade clauses should be included in any player's contract because it takes all leverage out of an organization's hands and it gives it all to the player. Wrapping things up in the NFL in this episode, uh, Baker Mayfield was on a podcast recently and talked really just about his feelings towards the Browns organization and and kind of what went down last season with the injuries and then feeling essentially disrespected by the Browns for how they handled the Deshaun Watson situation, being told one thing, they're not going to go after Deshaun Watson, but then doing another and going and getting him. You know, I'm not really too sure who's at fault here. I think there's some give and take on both sides. I think both are at fault, but both are also not at the same time. I think if you're the Browns and really any organization in the NFL or any professional sports team, I think it is your duty to be constantly on the search for someone better at every position. Constantly looking for potential trades or in the draft. Someone who could potentially be better currently than what you have. And that's what the Browns did. I mean, a lot of people view Baker Mayfield as a borderline top 20 quarterback. He's probably outside that. And the Browns saw an opportunity to go get Deshaun Watson. Granted, there's a lot of controversy surrounding him. I mean, he's still got the civil suits. He could still be suspended by the NFL for the first part of the season. We don't know. But the Browns certainly upgraded at that position, given what we've seen from Deshaun Watson in his career to this point. And it is the duty of the Browns to continually and consistently pursue better talent than what you already have on your roster if it's available, if you don't already have the best player. So I get it. But it does seem that there was a lack of communication of that towards Baker Mayfield. 
Baker claims he wasn't told that, and that's probably true because the Browns aren't the most well-run organization. They've proven that over the last 20 to 30 years. And and I do feel bad for Baker Mayfield because he played banged up last year. I mean, he destroyed his shoulder. I think he had some stuff going on with his knee. He was not right at all, and he probably should have shut it down last year at, at one point or another, and he didn't. And I commend him for playing through injuries because I feel like you know, there's not that many guys nowadays that do that, that play through injuries, especially, you know, in the NBA. Now, the NBA is a much longer season. You can afford to sit out some games and it's not going to kill you uh, in the long run. The NFL, it's not necessarily the case. But I, I applaud Baker Mayfield for, for playing through pain. It's something that I would have tried to do as a former athlete. So I get it. Obviously, I'm not. I was never an elite athlete like a lot of these guys are. But you get what I'm trying to say. Playing through pain is tough. I commend him for that. And I almost feel like the Browns maybe forced him to play. Knowing that Baker Mayfield is the best shot that they have at winning games, whether he's 100% or not. And I get that, but I don't think the Browns, I think the Browns knew that they weren't going to make a deep playoff run anyways. Of course, you want to make the playoffs, which they didn't do, but uh, they weren't going to make a deep playoff run anyways if Baker Mayfield wasn't right. And... Baker's play kind of, you know, it was subpar, but the reason is because of the injuries. But I think, you know, the season ended, the Browns looked at Baker and said, wow, he didn't really play well at all this year. And they went out and made a move for a new quarterback. There's give and take on both sides. I think Baker Mayfield is very authentic. I love that about him. I love that he is authentic about his feelings. He's not afraid to share his feelings. But there comes a point where you overshare. And... I think that can kind of hurt your reputation a little bit because some of what Baker Mayfield says, it's very emotionally charged. And I love that he's an emotional person. I love that he kind of wears that on his sleeve. But it can hurt you to a point. And I think it it might have here with the Browns because now he's got to move on and find a new team. And quite frankly, there's no new teams calling. The Seahawks are the one team that have been the most interested in Baker Mayfield. I don't think they're going to go after him, um, or at least not right now, maybe not until closer to training camp and, and preseason. And especially at that price tag, he'd be making $19 million this year. He would need a new deal that's probably going to be north of $30 million if he does start for a team this year. Because I, I think he's good enough to start, but I think he's at a point now where if a team brings him in, they're not bringing him in and just naming him the starter right away. He's going to compete. So Baker Mayfield will compete with Drew Locke. Or if he goes to the Giants, he will compete with Daniel Jones. Baker Mayfield doesn't really... uh, Baker has to kind of control his own destiny now in terms of earning another starting job. And I certainly think he can. But part of it has a little bit to do with this. And And listen, I love the authenticity. I love that he is not afraid to share his emotions. And that's a very common thing, you know, with men in society is that men don't share their emotions and it's not very masculine for men to do so. But Baker is very open and honest about his emotions. I love that about him, but it it might be detrimental to the future of his career right now, at least in the short term, until he finds a new home because teams aren't coming and calling and asking about Baker Mayfield or if they are they're not offering too much because the Browns would have pulled the trigger if they if teams were offering something 
But there's give and take on both sides of the situation. I totally get why Baker Mayfield feels disrespected by the Browns. If they're telling him one thing and doing another, the communication seems to have been lacking there. The Browns also forced him to play when he really shouldn't have. But also the Browns have a duty to continually upgrade at positions if they feel like they need to. That's part of the business of the NFL. And it's part of the business of sports. All right, over to the NBA. So one thing I'm going to address, really I shouldn't. Uh, the The Lakers don't need any more talking about than they already have gotten from the media. But the Los Angeles Lakers missed the playoffs. A lot of people consider it the a, a colossal failure and one of the greatest failures in NBA history. In terms of a preseason, you know, favorite missing the playoffs, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, you traded for Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, a roster that on paper looked pretty good, even though a lot of them were pretty old. A lot of people call it uh, call it a colossal failure. I don't think so because I thought they were doomed to fail from the start because they had Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook had one of his worst seasons if not his worst season as an NBA player this year he played the most games out of any Laker 73 played the most minutes out of any Laker this season LeBron missed a lot of games Anthony Davis missed a heck of a lot of games Westbrook had the most opportunity to prove to us that he was different this year and he's no different than what he's been pretty much his entire career He's shown no willingness to adapt his game to today's NBA to be more efficient and to make others around him better. He's the worst shooting guard in the league. He's a point guard, but I mean the worst shooting guard. He cannot shoot whatsoever. And he proved that he was a horrible fit for this Lakers team. And I knew that from the start. And I thought maybe there was a chance, there was a slim chance it could work because LeBron James can can make just about anybody work. I mean, LeBron worked with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. He's worked with Anthony Davis, Kevin Love, Kyrie. Didn't work with Westbrook. Kevin Durant worked with Westbrook okay for a while. They never won a championship, but they were okay for a while, and then it was bad. Didn't work with Westbrook, but Katie's worked with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, now Kyrie Irving. James Harden to an extent, even though he wasn't there long. Westbrook doesn't play well with other stars. It's just that's the nature of the reality. But Westbrook continually blames other people for the reason why he wasn't as good this year. He wasn't good at certain spots. He, I mean, there were fans booing him, calling him Russell Westbrook during games. And he was mad at the fans. Well, shoot better. Work on your game. There's no reason as an NBA player you should be hitting shots off the side of the backboard i mean come on i can do that you shouldn't be able to do that and you're getting paid 40 million dollars to do it i'm getting paid none so i these excuses from russell westbrook like at this point it's kind of a joke and westbrook he's been the same player as in his entire career he's not been willing to work on his shot he relies on every ounce of athleticism that he has to to be good. But there's no craftiness to his game. There's no intelligence. There's no nuance to it. To it. There, there's nothing there intangibly that tells you he has changed as a player. And 
You know, it showed this year, and that's part of the reason why they missed the playoffs. I mean, other reason is Anthony Davis can't stay healthy to save his life, doesn't work hard, and doesn't keep his body in shape. I mean, it's it's one thing if you're having, you know, if you're just an injury-prone player, that's one thing. But I think AD's injury-proneness is due to the fact that he doesn't take care of his body. And then LeBron James is doing just about any uh, everything that he can at age 37, 38 years old, scoring 30 points a game. So much mileage, so many minutes on that body. Missed some time this year with some nagging injuries. Like, like no one can outrun Father Time. No one can outrun him. You know, at one point or another, it's going to catch up to you and your body's going to break down a little bit. You're going to get a, little, a few nagging injuries here and there that keep you out longer than they would have 10 years ago. You know, an ankle sprain 10 years ago for LeBron, he'd sit out a couple of games. But now he sits out 15, 16 games because of it. And that's just, that. that's not a knock on LeBron. That's just what happens when you get older. LeBron did just about everything he could to keep this team afloat. And it wasn't enough. But to be fair, this was LeBron's fault. The construction of this team is LeBron's fault. And it's mostly the, it's not necessarily the construction of the whole team. It's really just the addition of Russell Westbrook. When instead the Lakers could have signed DeMar DeRozan. You could have traded KCP to the Kings for Buddy Heald as as well as Kuzma. And then you have a great shooting piece off the bench in Buddy Heald. Excellent three-point shooter. DeMar DeRozan, he has a great mid-range shot. And has that it factor kind of down the stretch in games where you can give him the ball and he can go he can go win you the game. He can make clutch shots. He can kind of be sort of what D. Wade was for LeBron in Miami, kind of that closer. Obviously not to the level of Dwayne Wade, but you get what I'm saying there. Now there's no saying that that would have worked. We we could be sitting in the same boat today had they went that other direction because. DeMar DeRozan, again, is not a three-point shooter similar to Westbrook, but he's certainly a much better mid-range and free-throw shooter than Westbrook is. So there's no guarantee that this would have worked out any differently. But just given what we've seen out of DeRozan in Chicago this year, DeRozan's been spectacular, and I think the Lakers missed out on that. Would it have been the same? Probably not. But, I mean, you're left wondering what might have been. It's like I said earlier, you never know the alternative of a decision. But I could have told you from the start that I would have rather make that decision than bring in Russell Westbrook because I think anything that involves Russell Westbrook and you acquiring him, that's a dead end. Your season is over before it starts, and I said that at the beginning of the year. But as a result of all of this, the Lakers fired Frank Vogel, handled it very poorly. Vogel found out on social media and in a press conference that he was going to be fired. And he wasn't even told that like, Hey, this is going to be your last stretch of games, bud. And then we're going to ship you off. It's, it's honestly sad, but I, I do think Frank Vogel needed to get out of this terrible situation. I would have fired him. Not just because like, not because he's a bad coach. He's a championship winning coach. He put together great teams in Indiana with the Pacers that really challenged the heat year after year after year in the playoffs. He's a great coach, a great coach, but I would have just gotten rid of him because there's no need to put him through that anymore. He didn't have the backing of the organization. Jeannie Buss didn't give him the support that he needed. 
had no say in personnel decisions. They wanted Russell Westbrook on the floor, and Vogel wanted to take him off the floor. Frank Vogel was about the only smart human being in the Lakers organization this season. It's unfortunate that he was put through that. And it's not that Vogel isn't authoritative. It's not that he doesn't have a voice. But he wasn't given the support of the organization to have a voice and to put these players in their place. They All the players, quite honestly, looked disinterested by the end of the season. Not even by the end of the season. Midway through the season, they were done. After the All-Star break, they were checked out. Some of those players didn't even come back from the All-Star break. They're still on vacation. And that sucks for Frank Vogel. But Frank Vogel is going to get another job somewhere else. He is a heck of a coach. He can coach a basketball team. As far as what the Lakers do, I don't know. But something's got to change in that organization. Because ever since the late Dr. Jerry Buss died, and you know, I've been watching some of that Showtime series talking about when... Dr. Buss bought the team, you know, back in the day, I think in 79. Yeah, since he died, this organization hasn't been the same. It's actually been kind of a dumpster fire. When you think about it, you know, the last handful of years of Kobe Bryant's career, I think from 2014 on, because I think Jerry Buss died in 2013, 2014, up until when LeBron James arrived in L.A., the Lakers were awful They've only won 40% of their games over the last, you know, 10 years. They've been awful. And then LeBron James comes in. And of course, when LeBron comes in, things are going to get better. And, and they did. They they missed the playoffs the first year, but LeBron did have a bad injury that kind of hurt them a little bit. They didn't quite have the team. You know, they didn't have a second star yet. They didn't have Anthony Davis. Had some younger pieces. Win a championship in year two once you get AD. And... And then two abysmal seasons after that, getting swept by the Suns last year in the playoffs, or maybe they got one game. They might've got one. I don't remember. doesn't matter. They, they lost, they got blown out and then not even making the playoffs again this year. I mean, that's two playoffs. That's two seasons now where LeBron James has failed to reach the postseason. LeBron is no longer. And he hasn't been for a while, just like a walking finals berth. He is not that anymore. I don't know what the Lakers do. I don't know what they can do, but I know I would move Russell Westbrook as fast as possible. You might even consider trading Anthony Davis to someone who might want him. All I know is that the Lakers need three and D guys, kind of like a Contavious Caldwell Pope, just guys who can shoot and guys who can play defense. That's all you need. And you need guys that are obviously available too, who are not injury prone or are not going to be sitting on the bench for 40 games a season. That's what LeBron needs. That's what the Lakers need. But, you know, that front office, something's wrong in that front office. I don't know why Linda and Kurt Rambis have any say in the organization. Jeannie Buss has no spine, isn't willing to say no, no to LeBron James. Rob Palenka is a fraud. And this Lakers organization is a joke. And they shouldn't be for having 17 championships. All right. With the last few minutes here of the show, uh, I'm just going to go through the first round matchups for the NBA playoffs and just briefly tell you who I think is going to win. So we do have a couple play-in games left. We do have Cleveland, the Cavaliers, and the Atlanta Hawks battling for the number eight seed in the East to take on the Heat. And I do like the Atlanta Hawks in that game simply because of Trey Young. Trey Young had an outstanding playoff run last year. Hawks have been dealing with some injuries. John Collins is out. 
but Trey Young, lights out shooter and shines brightest when the moments get tense. And uh, I like the Hawks. In the West, the Los Angeles Clippers and the New Orleans Pelicans fighting for the eighth seed to then take on the Suns in the first round. I like the Pelicans over the Clippers. Paul George, granted he's been injured most of the year and he's just recently come back in the last couple of weeks. But I I just don't like where the Clippers are at. And the Pelicans with C.J. McCollum leading the way. He's got his own team now and not like playing Robin to Damian Lillard's Batman. He is his own guy in New Orleans, averaging 25 a game. I like the Pelicans. Pelicans may not make that much noise in the playoffs this year, but I think in the next couple of years, you get Zion back healthy next season, hopefully. If Zion doesn't come back healthy, he might be the biggest bust in NBA history. But you get him back, you could have CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. That is a heck of a trio, I think. And that can be a very relevant team in the Western Conference in the next few years and for years to come. So that sets up, we'll start out in the Eastern Conference, but that sets out, uh, that sets up the Heat versus the Atlanta Hawks. I like the Heat. Better team, more well-rounded. Victor Oladipo coming back is huge for them. I like the Heat. Celtics versus the Nets. The Celtics have the better roster, and they are getting Robert Williams back, who I love defensively in the middle of the paint for the Celtics. The Nets, Kyrie and KD, when they play together, phenomenal. Kyrie's been lighting it up lately. We don't know if Ben Simmons is coming back in this series or not. I almost wouldn't mess with it. I think it's just kind of going to ruin the chemistry. I think that I think experimenting with that is something you do at the beginning of next season. But if I had to bet, I'm going to take the two stars, Kyrie and KD, over Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Bucks, Bulls. I'm going to go with the Bucks. The Bucks have quietly been, I think, the best. Even though they're not the number one seed, they've quietly been the best team in the Eastern Conference this year. And honestly, I like them to go back to the NBA Finals and potentially repeat. I love what the Bulls did this year, but they've got too many injuries. I'm going Bucks. 76ers, Raptors. I like the Sixers to get out of this series because the Raptors don't have a go-to score that they can go to every game. Like I like Fred Van Vliet, Van Vliet and I like Pascal Siakam. And they can maybe take over one game, but they're not taking over an entire series individually or together. They're just not. And the 76ers have two guys that can do that individually. And that's James Harden and then maybe the MVP this year, Joel Embiid. In the West, first round, Suns versus Pelicans. The Suns are the best team in the West. Have been for the last two years. I love Chris Paul, underrated. Should have been MVP last year. Could argue MVP again this year. I mean, like the Suns were not winning any game games with this team in years past. And are Chris Paul and they're in the NBA Finals. But I like the Suns. Grizzlies and Timberwolves. This one I think is actually going to be a pretty close series. I'm going to go Grizzlies. But I think it's going to be in seven. I'm going to go Grizzlies in seven games. Warriors and Nuggets, 3v6. I like the Warriors. Steph Curry, never bet against him. Love Steph. And I'm going to go Warriors in six. 
Mavs versus Jazz. This one I think is going to be another great series as well. I like these Western Conference first round matchups a lot more. I think they're more competitive than these Eastern Conference ones. But I'm going to go with the Mavs over the Utah Jazz because I think Luka is better than Donovan Mitchell. I think Donovan Mitchell's kind of plateaued. Luka's still ascending. And the Mavs have just been a great team in 2022. Really since the new year, they've been phenomenal. That's the first round matchups. And we'll see the result of the playing games tonight and how the first round goes. Thanks for tuning in to this little bit longer episode of WFS, the Will Ford Show. We're back. Also check out podcast by Garrett Moore and I, Toboggan Talk. We were kind of on like a six-week hiatus, but recorded a new episode yesterday. That's going to be up today on Thursday, April 14th. So uh, make sure you tune into that. Just talking some life and some hustle with Garrett Moore. And that podcast can be checked out on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's probably everywhere you can find it. Make sure you follow The Will Ford Show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show, on Instagram at Will Ford Show, on TikTok at The Will Ford Show. And I'll see you in the next episode. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show.